Hello and welcome to this very exciting What Car Car of the Year podcast. I'm Doug Revolta, reviewer for What Car, and joining me to discuss the What Car Car of the Year awards and the best new cars on sale are reviews editor Will Nightingale. Will, hello. Hello. Deputy reviews editor John Howell. John, hello. Hello. How are you? I'm all right, thank you. How are you, Doug? Excellent. Oh, I'm, I'm great. Thanks for asking. Senior reviewer Alan Taylor Jones. Hello. How are you, Alan? Not too bad, not too bad. Great. And reviewer Neil Wynn. Everything all right, Neil? Yeah, I'm Great. good. This is going to be a discussion of some of the biggest talking points from this year's What Car Car of the Year Awards from the people who made the decisions. Don't forget to go out and buy a copy of our awards issue for the full roundown on every single winner. And you can visit whatcar.com for more information as well. But before we talk about the cars themselves, Will, for those that aren't necessarily familiar with them, can you explain just what the What Car Awards are and why they're so important. Well, yeah, Doug, I think it's, it's fair to say that the What Car Awards are the most important car awards in Britain. Um, obviously, I, I, I would say that, but yeah, if you ask the vast majority of manufacturers what award they would like to win most in the UK, I think it's fair to say that most would say a What Car Award. And, and the reasons are because the, the thoroughness with which we test cars and the objectivity um, but also how long we've been doing this. Um, we, we've been doing this for 40 years now, since 1978. So there's a long history of, of, of great car of the years. Um, and we've proved time and time again that we get the decisions right more often than anyone else. Um, this year we have a couple of new awards. We've got a family SUV, um, and that's really to reflect the, the popularity of SUVs, um, the vast majority of, of our visitors to our website and our magazine readers um, are interested in SUVs. So we've got a fourth um, category now, um, as I say, family SUV, which joins small SUV, large SUV and luxury SUV. We'll explain more about what those, what those all are later. Um, but we've also got um, a hybrid award for the first time, and that's, um, again, to reflect the, the interest from our readers. We found that you know a lot of people are worried about buying a diesel at the moment, understandably, um, and it's it's really trying to find different powertrains. So so petrols are more popular, but also hybrids and, and pure electric cars as well. Okay, and so we have 21 different categories, and within those categories, we also have three different price point winners, and then one overall winner. And can you just explain how what cars are actually eligible to win the overall award? Well, yeah, that's a good that's a good point actually. Um, the the twenty one individual categories, um, uh, most of them, for example, city car, small car, um, you know, small SUV, whatever, they are uh, it, it, any car that's on sale can win that award. It doesn't matter how long it's been on sale. So you will find multiple winners. A, a, you know, a car that's won last year, for example, um, let's just say our, our last year's. Um, winner was the BMW 5 Series, that's one luxury car again this year. But it's only cars that have been launched in the last 12 months that are eligible for the overall award. Um, uh, so, so the pool of, of, of cars to choose from there is, is a lot smaller. It doesn't matter how great a car is, if it's been on sale for more than a year, it's not eligible for the 2018 overall Car of the Year award. Sure, and the overall winner for this year was the winner of the family SUV category, and that was the Volvo XC40. And it's an all-new family SUV from the Swedish manufacturer, and it goes into the lineup below the XC90 and the XC60. So, John, can you tell us a bit more about the XC40, why it's so good, and why it's the best new car you can buy? I can, Doug. Go and for it. <laughs> and the first thing is, it, it, actually, it was a bit of a surprise, because I remember when the car turned up in our studios, Volvo sent one over from Sweden for us to have a look at, and 
I was sitting there thinking, well, you know, the XC90, XC60, really good cars, but not class leading. And I thought, well, chances are this, this XC40 is going to be the same sort of thing. Good car, but not class leading. And so it's sitting, it's sitting in our studios. And the first thing I did, get in the car. And I looked around and thought, love the interior quality of the thing. Not only does it look stylish, but actually everything feels really solid. And it really did seem to be a sort of uh, a smaller XC90 and something very different for that class. Um, and then space-wise, I'm quite tall, six foot three. So sitting in the front, there was loads of space for me. I got in the back behind my driving position thinking, well, there's not going to be that much room there because it's this stylish, uh, fairly small SUV. Got in there, no problem at all. Plenty of legroom and headroom. Open the boot. And while it doesn't look that big immediately, when you lift up the boot floor and you realise there's a, a massive load of underfloor storage in there, that's really good. Uh, but then we went for a drive and I was still sitting there thinking, well, it's not going to is probably not going to ride that well or there'll be a problem somewhere down the way and then Will and I went out for a drive and it was pretty good wasn't it? That was, that's the most impressive thing about the car for me really um, that you know not that the XC60 and the XC90 uh, are, are bad at all but they haven't perhaps translated as well to UK roads as, as some of the competition um, and by that I mean sort of mainly from a ride quality point of view we've got a lot of bad roads as, as you'll know um, and the XC40 was was it, it well, is extremely comfortable. I mean, it handles the kind of potholes that um, cause a lot uh, cause a lot of um, suspension noise and crashing from uh, many cars um, very well. Um, it's not a sporty car at all to drive. Um, it's not uh, you know if you want something that handles really well, a VW Tiguan or you know BMW X1 even is 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 a, is a better choice. But I would argue that not many families actually really care about that. They want something that's comfortable, refined, classy inside. Um, and and the, the XC40 in all of those respects is, is class leading. Great. So John, impressed with the interior. Will thinks it drives great. Alan, can you tell us a bit about the running costs though? Because obviously to be car of the year, it's got to be pretty good value as well, hasn't it? Yes. So we've tested the diesel on our Tre MPG cycle and it got uh, mid-30s MPG which isn't bad at all for what is a, a pretty chunky SUV, um, especially with an automatic gearbox and four-wheel drive. So it's not going to cost too much at the pumps. But importantly, when you look at how much car you get for the money, including equipment, it's cheaper than, say, an X1 or a Mercedes GLA, for instance. And uh, a lot of people will, of course, be going for PCP finance. And on that... It's very good indeed, partially helped by very good residual value. So it's worth uh, quite a lot of its original value after, say, three years. Brilliant. So it all adds up into one excellent formula. Neil, were you also impressed with the XC40? Yeah, I, I think to go from what Will said there with uh, in terms of the car, it does have quite a broad remit in that they haven't tried to make it too sporty. It does feel particularly family orientated. And you even get that from um, how they've designed the interior. There's plenty of clever bits in terms of uh, the actual side pockets of the car. You can fit a laptop. There's, uh, I think, is it five USB um, charging points? And obviously, and you've got a, a adjustable boot floor as well. So actually, you can tell as soon as you get in it that it's been designed with families in mind. But again, they've still it's still in place where you like to be, um, and it's still a well designed interior. Yeah, I would say you know this is this is the best the best car Volvo have ever made. Um, I think we probably all agree with that. Yeah, we? definitely. Yeah. And you can get orange carpets, which. Why Ma wouldn't you? Who doesn't want orange carpets in their car? Well, it matches your beard, doesn't it? Oh, it matches exceedingly well. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
obviously the appetite for SUVs is massive in the car buying market at the minute. And so you know, we're bang on trend naming an SUV as our overall car of the year. But we've named a diesel engine as our favorite one in, in the XC40. So a few people are gonna be asking some questions about that. Will, can you set the record straight? Why have we named a diesel as our overall car of the year? Yeah, well, I, I, I you know, obviously we, we, we can understand few people will be raising eyebrows and saying, why are you recommending a diesel? Um, at a time when, you know, in the wider media, uh, certainly a lot of the tabloids, there's a lot of negative press around diesels. And, you know, some of it's justified, um, uh, 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 a lot of it isn't. Um, but the, the position that we're in um, uh, uniquely is that we actually um, can carry out our own independent emissions tests. And we can tell you that um, NOx emissions, which are one of the things that diesel engines can be quite bad on, are actually pretty low on the XC40, comparable with some petrols even. So, um, so, and with that in mind, I think, you know, as long as you're buying a diesel for the right reasons and you do the, the mileage to justify it, then there is absolutely no uh, reason that we would we were trying to dissuade you from doing that. It's just that petrols make more sense for, for more people than, than perhaps they have done in the past. But don't forget at the moment there isn't a really a viable petrol for the XC40, but they will be coming. It's just at the moment the only one that's available is, is a really powerful one. That's um, a very good point actually. I think you know there are only two engines at the moment. There's a very powerful petrol engine um, which is <laughs> really, ba really bad on fuel economy um, if we're honest. Um, there are a couple of lower powered uh, engines that are going to join the range later in the year. It wouldn't surprise me if um, in a few months time we actually changed our pick of the range to, to, to one of those. But at the moment the D4 is a great engine and certainly because it's, it's, it's pretty punchy as well, um, it, 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 it suits a family car like that really well. Brilliant. So the XC40 lineup could get even better in the future then with these new smaller petrol engines. Um, and Volvo as a whole seems to be going from strength to strength. When it was owned by Ford, obviously things were not going so great and they were picked up by um, the Chinese company Geely in 2010. And since then, they've had a range of, of much more impressive products, all culminating in the XC40, which is built on this new platform. Neil, can you tell us a bit about the, the partnership with Geely and do you think we should be excited about the, the future with Volvo? Yeah, definitely. Ever since Geely's been involved with Volvo, they've certainly been going in the right direction um obviously when the second generation xc90 came out we really liked it you know beautiful interior um actually a very good car to drive um and the same goes for the s90 and v90 um but there have been areas where we've had to make accommodations for um they haven't rode necessarily uh, that well and the engine certainly the diesels have been a little bit gruff compared to competitors um and we've certainly taken that into account uh, but with the XC40, you don't really have to make allowances for character. Um, certainly, it's still a beautiful thing to, to look at inside. The design's lovely, um, but they've certainly got better at working out how to make these cars uh, more and more polished. And um, the XC40, uh, as Will said earlier, is uh, probably the best Volvo I think uh, they've, ever, they've ever built. And obviously, in the future, that's only hopefully going to continue in that direction um geely is certainly providing a solid investment uh and they're looking towards going to electric so not only are they looking at developing the company uh they're looking like they want to be at the forefront of the technology as well so. well i just think I, I like the fact that these companies ford had a bit of a habit of interfering with the the brands that they owned whereas it does look like the chinese have just left volvo to get on with it over in sweden and make volvos and, and that kind of comes across to the cars because they're obviously a lot more stylish than Volvos used to be in the past, but they all just, they, if you take that on board, they just feel like Volvos now. You get into an XC90 or you get into an XC40, 
uh, or the, all the saloons in the States, they do, and they all have a sort of nice design language and they feel very identifiable and something different from the Germans, which is a lot of people really appreciate. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but I think, you know, for, since the XC90 uh, came along a couple of years ago, the, the latest XC90, um, and that was followed by obviously the, the, the S90, the V90 and the XC60, they've all been great to look at. There's been a huge amount of interest in them from our readers. They've been lovely inside, but they haven't quite... Um, nailed it when it comes to uh, driving dynamics and I think that's where the XC40 really moves things on and if they're going to continue in that direction then they've absolutely got nothing to worry about at all. It did feel a little bit like you had to kind of, you test a Volvo and you go, oh it's lovely it's a Volvo yeah. but you know objectively it falls down whereas it's really nice to do to test a car, love it because it's a Volvo but also be able to objectively go, yeah, yeah. it's good on this, this area, this area, this area and, uh, and really be able to recommend it to people. And I think there are certain manufacturers out there who maybe shouldn't be named, but Saab would be one of them where, you know, character does only get you so far in the end. Absolutely. Um, so it's nice to see that Volvo are not resting on their laurels and they, they really are trying to push forward and be a premium manufacturer alongside BMW and Audi. Fantastic. So some great products in the Volvo range at the minute and it only looks like it's going to be good news in the future as well. Has something happened to Saab then? <laughs> Go back to sleep, John. <laughs> Uh, the Volvo may have scooped the overall award, but there's plenty of other impressive cars that we had to choose from as well. So for starters, one of the cars that came close to scooping the overall award was the Seat Ibiza. Now, the Seat beat the reigning champion in that class, which was the Skoda Fabia. And this year, it's also seen off competition from the new Volkswagen Polo and a new Ford Fiesta. So it's so impressive that it really has seen those rivals off. But Will, can you, can you explain how how Seat has done that and why the Ibiza is so impressive? Well, I think, yeah, the Ibiza took us all by surprise, really. Um, and, you know, in any other year, uh, it, it would make a very worthy overall car of the year, actually. It, it's that good. Um, you know, to beat the Fabia is, is a big achievement. Um, it's, that's been our favourite car, of the, car uh, in that class for, for a couple of years now. Um, to beat a brand new Ford Fiesta is an even bigger achievement and that Fiesta is a great car by the way um, the the third best car in that class um, actually um, but then finally to beat the Polo which is actually based on the same platform as the Ibiza but has had more um, soft touch plastics inside um, a little bit more um, sound deadening materials a few, a, bit like, uh, a few things like that where it does actually beat the Ibiza but overall as a package the Ibiza is more fun to drive it's better value and um, that's partly because it's cheaper but it's also better equipped um, so, uh, so as an overall um, small car, we think it we think it's unbeatable. It's a it's a it's a phenomenal achievement for Seat, and it just shows that um, you know you, you you build start building a couple of good cars. They started with the Attacker um, uh, two years ago, um, and and since then they've 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 really been on a roll. Yeah, it's great. It's great to see all that good work filtering down the range as well, and so impressive as well because the Fabia, the Polo, the Fiesta, all those cars that you've mentioned, they're all brilliant cars in their own right as well. But the Seat Ibiza pips them all to top spot in that class. Another of the cars that came close was the Peugeot 5008, which was perhaps a little bit of a dark horse in this year's awards. We've seen it happen in a few other cars where a manufacturer has taken what was an MPV and for a, ne a new generation model, they've turned it into an SUV, and that's something that's happened with the 5008. So, um, Neil, it's won the large SUV category, which is you know, like the small car category that they say Arbita won, very hotly contested. Does this show then that going from MPV to SUV has worked for the 5008? Yeah, I certainly think it has. Certainly, we enjoyed the 3008 when we tested it last year, and the 5008 is obviously... Um, based on a similar platform. 
But we have said that, you know, it's certainly a stylish conscious car. In fact, I think John wrote the copy for that uh, for one of our group tests and said the interior looked a bit like the uh, Starship Enterprise. And um, I'm not sure that got cut out in the end. Oh, <laughs> typical. typical. Yeah. Is that particularly style conscious, though? Could it look, you know, something like Star Trek? Uh, I think the it's point you is sorry it's, a it's a way over my head yeah no i think the enough. point he was trying to make is that the interior is um is certainly out there compared to competitors um like the uh, skoda kodiak that is a little bit more um well it is a czech company but a bit more germanic um in design uh and i think when you have an interior like that you can certainly think the car is a bit more style over substance but i think what really surprised us with the peugeot uh, when we were testing it back to back with rivals is actually just how brilliant it was objectively um it's obviously a seven seat car and in that rear row um we found that there was more space um than in the skoda kodiak um and as well as that um the 1.2 petrol engine for powering a seven seater you might be a little bit worried that it's underpowered but we actually found that um not only was it very economical it was tractable and uh, certainly powerful enough for a car of that size. Alan, you actually had one over the Christmas break, didn't you? So um, how did you get on with it? And, you know, are you impressed with it? Uh, well, yes. I mean, uh, like Neil says, with 1.2 litres and 130 horsepower, you'd expect it to, to really struggle. And being Christmas, had it loaded up with my wife, dog... And I thought you were going to say, uh, being Christmas, you've eaten loads of pies and t- well, turkey, and, and it was going to struggle with your hard. belly, Alan. It's a bit harsh yes. on your wife there as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and there was also an awful lot of presents and, and the usual stuff. And yeah, it, it coped absolutely fine. And yes, you do occasionally have to work it a little bit harder than you would a diesel on hills, but certainly at no point did it struggle or feel breathless. So um, yeah, it, it was great. And being such a big thing, loads of space inside for everything we needed so yeah i was uh i was pretty chuffed i have to admit great so another great car in another great category but just didn't quite match the star quality that we felt the xc40 had another one of the close contenders was the skoda karok and the karok is new this year and it replaced the yeti in skoda's lineup but it gets a far more traditional suv design than the yeti did and actually it's very 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 similar to the Seat ateca um so uh neil why did the Karak run the XC40 so close to the overall winner award? Yeah, um, obviously it's based on the same platform as the Ateca, but it's been tuned by Skoda engineers. Um, and for all that we've really liked the Ateca in the past, it's always had a few areas that has let it down. Um, for an SUV, and certainly a family-orientated family SUV, it's always had a little bit too harsh of a ride. Um, and for all that means it's obviously a bit sportier, Um that's not necessarily uh, what families would want. And I feel that Skoda have taken that platform and um, they've just polished off those edges. So it certainly rides better than most cars in the class. It comes with a generous amount of equipment as standard. Um, And as well as that, uh, it also comes with a few carryovers from the Skoda Yeti, such as uh, Varioflex rear seats, um, which means for families, you can remove the rear seats and it turns into a small van or they also move. So there's a lot of little clever touches that Skoda have put into it that have really kind of lifted it above um, both its closest rivals, uh, the Volkswagen Tiguan and uh, the Seat Ateca. I I wrote the group test for that against the Ateca and the, uh, the Croc against the Ateca and I do remember things like PCP figures were, were very good for in, in that test even against its that nearest rival like the Ateca. It's a cheaper it's a cheaper car yeah um, there are a couple of areas I would say that it you know doesn't quite 
uh, match the attacker and one of those is engines. We've, we've seen VW's latest range of, the VW Group's latest range of, of petrol engines, the 1.5s that have replaced the 1.4s, for example. Um, and although, yeah, they're, they're, they're still very sound engines, they're not quite as um, uh, torquey at low revs, for example, um, and, and some of the emissions, um, officially at least, are a little bit worse. So I think there are, although in most areas, the Karok is the better car and beats the attacker, um, there are a couple of areas which it, it does fall short, and that's why overall I think it, it didn't quite make the uh, make the overall car of the year award. Yeah, so I guess it's, it's probably fair to say that because it had the Seat Attackers winning formula already, and all it did was was tweak that, that it's not such a big achievement as the XC40, which just kind of it's all new, came in and blew everything else away. So that's you could argue is the bigger achievement. I think so. Yeah. So that'll do for part one. Coming up in part two, we're talking hot hatches, sport cars. EVs and Tesla. What car's new car buyer marketplace takes the hassle out of haggling? With around 100,000 discounted new car deals to choose from, you're never far away from a great deal, sourced from a dealer in your area. So once you've chosen your new car based on our industry-leading reviews, just go to our new car deal section and see how much you can save. It's the right car at the right price from the right dealer. So save time, money and hassle and let what car find you the best deal and price for your next car. Welcome back. So in this part, we're going to talk hot hatches first, and it's been a great year for fast cars, and our hot hatch category is absolutely testament to that. The overall winner was the new Honda Civic Type R, which gets a 316 brake horsepower, turbocharged, two-litre petrol engine, a top speed of 169 miles per hour, and a very striking Need for Speed style design. John, you were particularly taken by this car. You were on the uh, first international launch for it, I was. weren't you? So, um, so why is it so good and why should we be so excited about it in a year when there are plenty of other impressive hot hatches as well? See, I remember going out to that launch. I really like the old, the previous generation Civic Type R, which wasn't actually that old. It was only around for two years. And other people were a little bit sniffy about the car, but I always thought that was a good basis for Honda to produce something really fabulous. So I, I remember going to the Frankfurt Motor Show uh, back in 2017 and saw the new Civic Type R there and I'd heard all these rumours that they'd softened it off a little bit so I was a bit worried about that. I was thinking, oh, is it really going to be the, that, uh, that good? And I'm, let's face it, the new Civic type, uh, the new Civic full stop is quite a controversial looking design and the Type R was even more way out there than perhaps ever before. So um, anyway, I went out there, drove the car and immediately I was like, yeah, this car's absolutely spot on. Not only because it still drives, to my mind, almost like a mini touring car. I know it's a bit of a cliche, but the fact is it really is true. You get the car on track, which we did out in Germany. It was really, really fabulous on track, but, um, but also get it on the road. And where the old car was really criticised was for the fact it was too harsh. So you've now got these adaptive dampers on the, the new Civic Type R. You can switch them to comfort and suddenly it becomes... Not just a comfortable car, but probably one of the most comfortable hot hatches out there. I reckon oh, that's true, isn't I, it? I think. I think it probably is the most comfortable. Certainly in that. Um, Even next to a Golf R, which everyone rates as, as uh, you know the, the kind of most usable hot hatch. Yeah, absolutely. Be. If you put the dampers in the comfort mode, it, it rides really well. It rides British roads really well, which is something that you know you can't, you can't say about a lot of hot hatches. Mm -hmm. um, it. I think one thing is that. Uh, Honda hasn't gone chasing numbers, have they? Um, you, you, know, you look at the Focus RS, you look at the BMW M140i, and some people get obsessed with 0-60 figures, and you look at the Civics and you think, mm, you know, it's, it's not very fast, is it? But that's because it's front-wheel drive, and, and you know, it can't fire you off the line in quite the same way that a rear-wheel drive car or a four-wheel drive car can. But how often do you do that? 
once you're moving, it is really, really fast. Um, it's, but it's, Will, do you remember two people in the office had an argument and one said that a Focus RS, because it's four-wheel drive and 345 horsepower, uh, would be way faster than the Civic Type R. Do you remember who those two people were and who was proved right? It actually technically was faster because we've got the 960 times yeah, to prove it. We did it, we, we and, did it uh, around the track, didn't was, we? We timed, yeah, we timed both of them around the track. I was talking about straight line and what was And what was, uh, fastest? what was fastest? In the straight line, the Focus RS. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, but around the track. Um, and, uh, no, the, Focus, the Type R was, uh, was fastest around the track. And I think, I, you know, I was surprised about that. Um, it, it's a phenomenally capable machine, not just compared with sort of thirty-two thousand pound hot hatches, but honestly, I promise you, there are there are some you know really high performance cars, seventy, eighty thousand pounds that couldn't live with this thing. This is uh, an incredible piece of engineering. Um, the only thing is, can you live with the looks? That's yeah, I, yeah, look, I'm not a fan of the looks uh, personally. Um, I think it's been a bit of a divisive subject. I think Neil's probably the person who uh, who loves them the most. But yeah, I quite like the looks. I think that but Neil's it, only seventeen. Well, that there is, that might be the case, but no, I, I really quite like the looks. I mean, they have gone a little bit uh, far out, but then maybe they should, you know, it's, uh, and also I kind of like that weird juxtaposition of, uh, it probably looks like the most aggressive hot hatch on sale. Um, but as well as that, it's probably one of the most usable. Not only is it uh, quite comfortable, it's got a massive boot because it's obviously based on the standard car and a uh, quite good leg room in the rear. So it's uh, as a family car. I'm not saying I would uh, Actually, say you should go out and buy a Type R, but I, I think it's I'm fantastic. with you as well with the with the looks as well, Neil. I think if you're you know if you're buying a hot hatch, you want to turn heads, and I think you know yeah. there's not any others that will turn and, as many as that, and be I would, it for good or bad reasons. Yeah. But admittedly, I have you know some people have seen it and it, it does gone, what is that? But I I think it looks it, great. It does attract a certain type of person, um, but I have to admit the hand gestures that. I've had on the road have actually all been positive. I had it for one weekend and I think I got, you know, a thumbs up um, from multiple motorists every day. So, yeah, it's uh, some, it clearly is divisive. Yeah, the opposite like end it. of the spectrum, though, obviously everyone criticizes me for being an old fart, but I would buy the Civic Type R because I don't, not because of the looks, because actually I really don't like the looks, but I. There's no way I could buy another hot hatch out there at the moment because it is such a good hot hatchback. It's yeah, that good. So it, we've heard, it, despite the looks, I'd still buy it. Everyone's clearly very impressed with the Civic Type R, but the uh, styling clearly continues to divide. Another one of the hot hatches that, that I think is important to talk about uh, is the Hyundai i30N. And it's Hyundai's first hot hatch, and it was actually developed by the former BMW M division chief. Um, and it was a close runner-up to the Civic Type R, and it's a, still a brilliant car. But Neil, did anyone see this coming? Hyundai's first hot hatch, was anyone anticipating it to be as good as it was? Yeah, I think when you've got um, Albert Biermann, um, who is the M division chief, like you said, uh, working with the Hyundai team, um, you're going to expect uh, that the product's going to be pretty good. Um, but, you know, always between somebody like that and the finished product is a, a team uh, of accountants who you know, can always mess up the end result. So I think we were hoping for the best, but I think actually when we went on the launch, and I believe it was John um, who who went on that, and I think uh, John was thoroughly impressed. And then um, me and Alan in the UK just shortly after that drove both the performance model, um, but also the entry-level i30N, um, which comes without an e-diff and with a little bit less horsepower. Um, but both were just utterly brilliant. Um, and I think to be on a similar level, and I would actually say better um, than a VW Golf GTI um, and a Peugeot 308 GTI um, on the first go is something that just has to be commended. Can I just can I just say, I remember being on the launch of that car 
and Mr. Albert respected Mr. Albert Beerman talking about the car, talking about what they'd done, and uh, and sometimes when you're on these launches, you get these this PR spiel that you think, oh, okay, take that with a pinch of salt. And although he's a very respected man, I was taking him very seriously, and then he started telling me about the aerodynamics of the car and all that kind of stuff. And I remember him saying, we got the rear diffuser, and I, there was one on a ramp up uh, on a ramp. So I had a, I went off and had a look while he was talking, and the rear diffuser, was there was no holes in it, so it couldn't work, it didn't really make any sense to me. So I was thinking, this must be a load of rubbish, he's talking a load of rubbish. And actually this car, we're gonna go and drive it in a minute, and it's not gonna be any good, because we hadn't driven it at that point. So I went out with that mindset thinking that, you know, I was, I was almost a bit angry that I'd been lied to. It felt like I'd been lied to. Got out on the track. The thing was brilliant. No, I, I, I think the, although the Type R is, I think we all agreed, the best hot hatch around at the moment, and quite possibly one of the best ever. Um, for me, the most surprising uh, car of the year was the i30N. I, I accept that it's not quite as good, but this is a company that's come from, uh, from nowhere with no experience of building a, a, a hot hatch at all really um, other than the i30 turbo which isn't really a it's a sort of um, you know slightly quicker version of the i30 of the previous generation um, and you know I think one of the key things is it's much much cheaper than the, the Civic Type R as well. Mm -hmm. Civic Type R you can get one for 30,000 pounds but really if you want the GT that we recommend that's really well equipped it's 33 you can get yourself an i30N for £25,000 that has a lot of equipment. Yeah, exactly. So uh, that, that's a, a hell of a lot of car for the money. And I think the important thing to remember as well is, although there might be the temptation to go for the end performance with the e-diff and the added uh, trinkets to make it go faster, the basic i30N is a fantastically well-balanced car that is an absolute hoot on a British B-road, and you can go out, you can spend your £25,000 and be confident that you've got a really, really fun car at so much less than so much of the competition. It, it really is very good. That was probably the, the more of a surprise than the i30N performance being good was the fact that, because we hadn't driven the standard car on the launch, and then came back to the UK and eventually Hyundai got us the standard car, and I really genuinely thought that the performance one with its limited slip differential and all the trick bits that make it, and it's got specially developed tyres, bigger wheels, all that, I genuinely thought that was going to be the one to buy and the £25,000 one was not going to be very good. And then we drove the £25,000 basic or standard i30 in, uh, and it, it was almost, yeah, probably not qu as quick, but a quite a sweeter thing to drive maybe. And don't forget, it's still got loads and loads of equipment on it as and well. It, even though, I, well, the one thing I would say is when you look at things on paper, it is 20 brake horsepower down, but in the real world, you'd be genuinely hard pushed to tell the difference between the two. And it comes on slightly less aggressive rubber um, as well, which I think goes to what Alan was saying, is on, on a British B-road, um, it, it just moves around that little bit more and it is genuinely very rewarding. So, yeah, it, real surprise. Great, okay. So... Very, very impressive range of hot hatches that we had to choose from this year. But also, sports car was another great category with lots of competition as well. And it also saw a return to form for Alfa Romeo. They've been in the wilderness for a bit, but now they're back with a bang with the M3 beating Alfa Romeo Giulia Quadrifoglio. So this has got a Ferrari-tuned 503 brake horsepower, 2.9-litre V6, and it covers 0 to 62 miles per hour in 3.9 seconds. That all sounds good on paper, but will... What's it actually like to drive? Well, I think in, uh, along a similar vein to, as the uh, i30N that we've just been talking about, you know, this is one of the most surprising cars of the year bec uh, because Alpha, you know, for, for uh, forever really has 
produce great looking cars. And in the past, if you go back way into history, it produced some great cars. But some of the more recent models, uh, let's, let's be honest, they haven't been particularly great. Um, and the Julia, the standard Julia, not the, uh, uh, not the QF, um, was uh, was a real sort of step forward, um, but uh, but but the QF is a, is a is a remarkable machine. It's the fact that it's beaten the BMW M3 is and the C63 AMG um, is a phenomenal achievement. It's an incredibly fast car, but also while some of those cars in that class, particularly the BMW, they are faster around the track. Um, the competition pack, for example, Alpha's concentrated on making a car. Fun on the road, um, and this is a car that you you know you don't have to drive it incredibly fast, too fast for the road to actually get some reward from it. And I think that's that's the that's a, that's probably the greatest thing about the uh, the Alpha for me. And and there's obviously it seems like there's a bit a bit of a theme, and it's potentially bad news for chiropractors. But all these new um, performance-focused cars are now you know, very comfortable cars in their own right as well. So you don't have to put up with kind of bone shaking rides and, uh, you know, that they are, you can genuinely use them as daily drivers. Well, with, with the Julia, the, the main thing is that it's got something called a bumpy road button. So you can dial up... Like a Ferrari. It, it, just like a Ferrari. Yeah. In fact, the uh, chassis was developed by the same guy that developed the 458 Speciale. That, there's another fact for you. There isn't there. Full there's of it fact. today. Full of it. You always are then. <laughs> I try, um, but you you basically can turn the car into one of its sportier settings, so dynamic or indeed race mode if you're feeling particularly brave, and then hit the bumpy road button to soften the suspension off, which means you've got a aggressive map on the engine. If you if you want to, you've got slightly more leeway on the stability control, but you've still got this lovely bump absorption, which means you can go over a really rough piece of road. And it just soaks it all up. It it really is very good. And I think you know a lot that a lot of people would perhaps assume that stiffer suspension means sportier. better cornering, sportier. Yeah. But of course, that's only true if the road is perfectly smooth. Now, I don't know any that are smooth enough to to, to really take uh, aggressive track focused suspension in the UK. So actually, by having slightly more forgiving suspension. It's actually better for handling because it means the car's not skipping over bumps or um, you know and potholes. It's actually um, keeping its tire in contact with the road, um, and and you're going faster uh, as a result. So you know performance cars that are really um, set up too aggressively for the road are a bad thing in my opinion. Um, and the the Alpha's an example of a car that's really sweet for the UK. And should we be excited about future fast Alphas as well? Well, absolutely. If that's if that's anything to go by, then I think there's a lot to be excited about. Um, it's uh, I just hope they can they sort of continue that form really and um, and actually build bespoke cars rather than uh, you know rebadged sort of poshed up Fiat's really, which you know with cars like the the Alfa Mito um, uh, that that has been the case to be honest. Cool. Uh, in the sports car and performance car category, it's also worth pointing out uh, the top price point winner is the McLaren 540C. Now this did divide quite a lot of people because really it came down to, did we want to name the McLaren 540C as the, as the winner for the high price point or the McLaren 720S? The 540C was last year's winner and the 720S is all new this year and obviously a unbelievable, one of the most impressive supercars on the planet right now. So can someone, anybody explain? I'll do it. Why, John, take yeah, it. it. Take it away. Why did we give the 540C the... Because the, the, the reason why is because I know some people are strictly 
on the 540C side, some people were strictly on the 720S side. I've got to say, we drove the 720S when we were up at Millbrook on the track and it is properly fast. It's, uh, there's a lot of talk about it being faster than the McLaren P1, which is obviously their hypercar. Um, I can believe that. It really, I think it does, it's like 0 to 100 in 5 and 5.3 seconds or 5.4, something like that. It's, it's around about 5 seconds. That is fast. That's really fast. And it felt every bit of that. Um, so, and it's also, I didn't drive it on the, um, you drove it on the road, didn't you? Uh, because I, I, I only drove it on the track that day. But uh, it's also about the way it rides. It's, it's incredibly... Like, yeah, yeah, yet again. Yeah, we were it's talking about car. that again. It's yeah, another yeah, car that yeah. just rides absolutely unbelievably on the And road. it's got this amazing cabin, which you can see, you sort of, uh, you can see everything out of it because it's got this loads of glass area. Um, so there's no question that the 720S is a phenomenally good car. And probably, if you, in absolute terms, probably the best sports car you can buy at the moment. However, it's our job to sit there and say what's the most relevant as well as an extremely good car. And the 540C, it might, this is why I was sort of flitting between two. On the one hand, you've got an extremely good car. Um, you've got a, another car that's very, very, very good indeed, but has more, it's more affordable to more people. I know we can put that in inverted comments, affordable, but they're all extremely expensive. But it's more relevant to more people. And I, I think as well, with the 720S, you really have to be on the right road at the right day. So if it's too cold or it's a bit damp, you just cannot use the sheer amount of power that has. Now, while the 540C has got a lot of power, I mean, it's 540 PS, you can use a lot more of that on the day-to-day -day roads. And that greater accessibility really uh, makes it a more exciting car uh, every day as opposed to the 720S where you barely feel like you're scratching the surface. Well, I'd go further than that, actually, and say that, you know, on any road in the UK, you cannot use uh, more than a fraction of the 720S's <laughs> ability. Honestly, this is... I, I, I was there when you when you drove it around the track and then you, you got back in the car where we were all sat after and you, you did look genuinely moved I and, mean, and were very but silent this is on a after, after this driving is, the 720S. Exactly. This is, a, this is an incredible machine that you can... If you... If you, if you have access to a fast uh, circuit, you will get rewarded like nothing else. But we're giving awards to road cars, and I'm sorry, but you cannot use uh, more than a fraction of the performance of that thing um, on the road. Now you could you could make the same argument about 540C. It's still a car that will do 0 to 60 in you know three and a half seconds, but at least you can um, get a little bit more into into the limits of the car on um, you know a country road than you, you can with the 720S and for that reason I think you know it's an equally great uh, supercar for the road and it's massively cheaper um, and and you know even people who are considering high-end 911s for example might find that they could just about get into a, a, some of the PCP deals. That I was going to say offer. some of the PCP deals have been certainly pretty competitive which was really I think in the first place why the 540C was devised with that in mind um, and I would go up and, and back Will on that. Me and Alan had the uh, 720S um, on a very cold late November or early December day and uh, yeah putting that power to the ground um, at all even in sixth gear uh, can be a little bit frightening but I think it is important though to say and um, I might have been on the other side for this award, but uh, I think also McLaren, though, should be commended uh, for producing the 720S, yeah, which yeah, is a yeah, car yeah. with P1 levels of performance um, for a quarter of the price of that car. And they've managed to do that in just 
how many years? Maybe three, three or four years of development time, which is quite remarkable. And it's great to see a British manufacturer doing so well as well. So moving away from the super fast stuff, let's talk about the super cool and futuristic stuff. So the electric car category this year was won by the second generation Nissan Leaf. The first generation was the best-selling electric car in the world, and it sold 283,000 units across the globe. So this second generation has big boots to fill, and it looks like it's filled them. So, Alan, tell us a bit about the Nissan Leaf. Is it bigger? Is it better? What's the story with it? Well, the first thing you'll notice is that it looks an awful lot better than the slightly dumpy-looking old one. Uh, so the styling is certainly distinctive and a lot more modern. Uh, there's more technology inside and crucially the range is a lot better so in our real real world testing which i believe you carried out john yeah it was uh, uh will myself and one of our other guys rory and it took all day going round and round and round that's come. dedication for you yeah. right there um so although it couldn't quite match the renault zoe for range it was still, uh, it was 113 miles, am I? Uh, it was 108. 108, um, sorry. Just under 109. Um, and the uh, the Renault Zoe did about 131. And the e-Golf, which was the other car we tested it against, um, did 92. I should point out that this was real-world driving, but in very cold conditions. It was, the temperature ranged between 3 and 5 degrees. Batteries don't perform very well in those kind of, those kind of conditions. So obviously in the summer... On any of those cars, you would get much, much further between charges. Yeah, yeah. And of course, in the, the summer, you're probably not going to have the heating jammed on as hard as it will no, go either. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, I think, I think the, the great thing about the, 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 the Leaf for me is that, you know, it's not the best driving electric car. If we're honest, it's very good to drive, but an e-Golf is, is better, slightly yep. more refined, yep. rides a bit more comfortably. Um, and it's not the, the the cheapest electric car. You know, Renault Zoe is 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 more affordable. Yes. Whether you're a company car driver or you're buying private, there's huge discounts on the car as well. Um, but unlike the Zoe, which is, has some some very big flaws, you know, there are some very you know big safety um, uh, provisions missing from the car. Yes, you don't get uh, autonomous braking or even the option for autonomous you don't, braking, do you? You don't get three headrests in the back. Um, you know, and also there are limitations with the, you know, the, the performance isn't particularly great. I mean, it's not the greatest thing in the world to drive. The E-Golf, on the other hand, is is the the best car to drive and the nicest inside, but it's incredibly expensive for for, for that kind of electric car, at least. Um, and also, it has the worst range, and range is one of the most important things uh, of about electric cars. Of so course, I think the the age-old chestnut of range anxiety. Exactly. So I think you know that's where the the leaf strikes that balance really well. It's 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 good value. Um, it's it's very good to drive. Um, perhaps not the best, um, but also it has a very good real-world range. Yes, I mean 113 miles when the average person commutes what 30 miles a day max. That's well, three days of work without even having to plug it in once. And if your employer has some sort of electric charging scheme, you're basically running a car for, for nothing virtually. Um, and, I mean, you look at uh, even home electricity rates. You're looking at, say, 13p per kilowatt. The Leaf has... Oh, any 40 kilowatt battery. 40 kilowatt battery, kilowatt thank you very much. So 14, 40 times 13, so that's just over four quid. To, to charge up a car that will do 113 miles. I mean, you cannot argue with that. So exciting stuff going on with the electric car category. Now we're going to talk about our tech award, which this year we've given to Tesla, and they're a very worthy winner. 
Um, considering that the manufacturer's history only stretches back to 2003, it's pretty incredible what they've managed to achieve in that time. Neil, can you tell us a bit about their tech developments this year and then why they've won this award? Yeah, well, I think we'll go into more detail later about we actually have two runners up from Mercedes and Nissan, and both of them were very credible. Um, But both technologies are either limited in scope or they're not currently on sale. So it's important what we put forward and actually win the award is something you can go out and buy. And um, even though Tesla has been in the news lately um, due to uh, the unveiling of its new electric truck and Roadster, Tesla have actually got a lot of technology that's been on sale for a few years now uh, that only mainstream manufacturers are now starting to catch up on. Um, And I think everybody here will have experienced it or if anybody's involved in the industry, you know, you go on launches with other manufacturers um, and they can't wait to show you new tech of being able to park your car autonomously or be able to drive your car autonomously in a traffic jam. Whereas Tesla have actually had that system or a similar type of system on the market since 2014 Um, and we've tried it and have been very impressed with it and as well as that Tesla have a just a different take on the market I think Um, they're a little bit braver because they can be uh, than you know longer standing manufacturers and one of the great things is is that they approach the whole way of updating technology in their cars differently as well. So um, you know you can go to bed one night and then overnight um, your car can have you know it'll go naught to 60 quicker. Uh, that happened in June this year where the non-performance variants were updated over the internet um, to dip below five seconds to 60. Um, not uh, while you're sleeping, though. Uh, well, it they haven't got that much autonomous tech. Yet. Not while you're sleeping, yeah. You do have to be behind the wheel to do that. Um, and then the same thing with their autonomous systems. Um, they update them constantly. Um, so it's really a company that I feel other manufacturers are looking at a bit like the S-Class when we used to say we should look at Mercedes to see what the future is going to hold. I think other manufacturers are now looking at Tesla to do the very same thing. And then as well as that, they've also brought electric cars into the mainstream. um, And the company Supercharger Network um, is expanding every month. um, And it's actually kind of pushing other manufacturers on as well, I think, uh, to keep up. So I think they're well deserving of a technology award. And uh, I think we're all looking forward to see what they're going to do in the future. Certainly. And they're a brand that everyone is talking about, it seems. It's almost like they're, they're known as a brand first and then about the cars second. And I think it's, it's a really good, you know, they've obviously had a very good marketing tactic to, to create that aura about it as well. Yeah, I think they have. Um, and I think that's why I mentioned the Roadster and the truck. Um, and there have been some questions over um, Model 3 production issues, and it's important not to shy away from that. Um, but I think what this award shows is we're celebrating what Tesla has actually already done. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of people criticizing almost the fact that they're a company that makes the most out of hype. But um, at the moment, uh, apart from the A8, which is coming next year, with hopefully a stage four level of autonomy, um, nobody else really is close to them at the moment. So, uh... John, do you buy the Tesla hype? Yeah, I do. I've, I've always kind of, I like it when some something from outside, from left field comes in and shakes up the establishment because the establishment sits there and says, well, we can only do this, we can only do this. And I like the fact that um, Tesla came in with electric cars. I like the fact that Elon Musk, I think if I'm right, I might be corrected on this, but he was contemplating, the, the Tesla brand was contemplating doing hybrid cars. And he went, no, we're just going to go all electric. It's going to really screw us up for the first, obviously, first period because it, 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 we are now at the very vanguard at the forefront of technology. Um, but he 
put himself in a difficult position to really, because it, he, in his own words, I think it was to move things forward. You know, that's the only way you're going to move forwards. So that's it for part two. Coming up in part three, we're talking diesel and cars to be excited about in 2018. If you want to stay up to date with all the latest car news, new car deals and reviews, then follow What Car on social media. We're on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram and YouTube, so you're never far away from the best news, reviews, deals and advice. Okay, welcome back. In this last part, we're going to round things off by talking about diesels. Should you buy a diesel? We've already spoken a bit about them before and mentioned our true MPG testing that we do as well, but there's been so much bad press since the VW diesel scandal, but a lot of people don't quite grasp the arguments. Alan, can you clear it up for us and tell us a bit about our true MPG testing as well? Yes, certainly. So to give you an idea of what true MPG is, it's a test that we perform at Millbrook Proving Ground. So we take the cars up there, we prep them and make sure they're all the same temperature, and then we put them on a rolling road so the weather conditions are always the same because they're indoors. Uh, temperatures are always the same as well. But what we do different to, say, the official NEDC tests is that we use our own specific, um, well, it's called a trace, but it's how much throttle that you use um, to accelerate up to speed. Now, the NEDC test is done on a very, very gentle amount of throttle, so you're barely getting up to speed. Our test is based on a real route with the kind of throttle uh, inputs that you would actually use in the real world. Well, I think so it's important to point out, actually, you know, this is developed from real-world driving. Yes, we have actually yes. driven uh, these cycles on the real world, captured data using CAN loggers uh, and GPS loggers, um, and then created a virtual cycle based on that that we can we can use on a rolling road and then keep all the variables the same. So it's not just, it's, it's like a... Uh, a real world test. It is a real world driving test. It's just performed on a simulated in a laboratory. Yes, yep. And it takes into account urban driving, motorway driving, and also a, a fairly typical rural drive as well at a sort of fairly steady uh, speed. So it's all very representative. And what we generally find is that a modern diesel car uh, doesn't really pollute anywhere near as much as uh, a lot of the media will make out. So, for instance, the XC40, that one car of the year, actually emits less NOx than a 1.2-litre petrol Citroen C3 Picasso. So, I mean, here is a, a car with a much bigger engine, with a fuel that's supposed to be dirty, and it's actually cleaner than the kind of engine that politicians are really pushing very hard at the moment. Um, so it's important that we do this testing to get this information. And at the end of the day, diesel is not for everyone. If you spend all of your time in town, then it's not a particularly efficient uh, way of going about things. But if you do a lot of miles a year, spend a lot of time on the motorway, there's nothing that can beat uh, a diesel in that scenario. Um, likewise, if you do spend a lot of time in town, um, we actually find hybrids are usually the best thing to go for because when you're slowing down they recover energy and then use that to help the car move on again so um yeah true mpg is is certainly uh helping us make decisions moving forwards and, and, and i think you know it's it's important to point out that you know if we went back five years even longer than that there was a lot of government legislation that was driving people into diesels because it was all co2 emission based so tax advantages for going for, for diesels were obviously um, uh, pushing more and more people into it, into them. And, um, 
you know, diesels were almost viewed as the answer to all our problems. And that was never the case. No, they, no. they needed to be uh, appropriate for the type of driving you're doing. If you're doing low miles, um, then, then, you know, diesel's not for you. Um, the case now, it's almost reversed that diesels are, you know, the cause of all of the, all of the problems and almost petrol cars um, are, are, are fine. But there's somewhere in the middle that, 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 that's the reality. Both petrol and diesel cars burn fossil fuels and they emit um, harmful pollutants. We have to accept that. Um, and that's why, you know, in the long term, we might be seeing, um, you know, more cars moving into pure electric or certainly hybrid um, and other alternative fuels as well. But modern diesels are far, far less polluting than they were just a few years ago. Overall, uh, as an average diesel car and an average petrol car, the diesel will emit more NOx emissions um, and it will generally uh, pump out less CO2. But it, you can't just apply that to a type of fuel. It, everything, all of these different cars are different. And you can't, you've got to also bear in mind, I suppose, as well as people's buying habits being changed by politicians when they were told to buy diesel and sub, or, you know, kind of subsidised to buy diesels, and yeah. now it looks like it might go the other way. People bought diesels because they were more economical. Um, and they uh, still are. And they still are. However, it's worth pointing out that for uh, those that don't do that many miles, Petrols are becoming much more mm. economical, and, and, all, and if you look at some of the cars that we recommend, I mean, it used to be probably you might recommend a city car or super mini as a, as a petrol because it wasn't worth spending the money, and most people didn't drive those cars long yeah, distances. Yeah, yeah. But now you look at the kind of cars that we're recommending people buy as as, uh, as petrols; they could be quite big things, like Skoda Superb. You know, we, we yeah, rate really highly at that one point four. I think absolutely uh, TSI one fifty and the five thousand and eight actually the with yeah, yeah, even, yeah. Like, even relatively big SUVs. I think there is obviously a point w at which diesels still, um, uh, uh, you know, uh, are the most recommendable power yeah. powertrains, um, particularly in you know large SUVs, large SUVs. Yeah. You know, you wouldn't buy, for example, an Audi Q seven um, uh, as a petrol, even if you could. You can't. Mm. But you know, um, I think you know it's it's appropriate for the type of car. Petrols make more sense in more classes than they did before, partly because the RVs have been, the, the, the resale values have been affected by all the negative press and diesels. But really, um, it, to, ha to have real fear of buying a diesel, if you know that it will make sense for you um, because the fuel economy advantages will, will actually save you money in the long run, that's um, something that you really shouldn't be worried about. This is something that's certainly going to rumble on and Watcar obviously will be keeping on top of the story throughout the next year. To round things off, let's look forward to some of the cars that we're going to be seeing in 2018. Now, our Reader Award is the award that, that our, it's nominated, it's given to a car that our readers are most looking forward to seeing in the next year. This year it's the Jaguar I-Pace, which is their new electric SUV. Um, is, are you guys enthused by this? Do you, think it, do you think it could be a game changer? Do you agree with our readers? Neil, what do you think? Well, I think with the award, actually, I think um, I'll let somebody else deal with the I-Pace. But in terms of the award, I think last year, actually, with the Civic Type R, um, when it when that uh, news went out in the room on the night um, at Car of the Year, I think there was a bit of a sigh. I think people couldn't believe that uh, everybody had voted for that because uh, we thought, oh, you know, as John said, the, the Civic had only been around anyway for two years. Um, but it has turned out to be one of our favourite cars. So, you know, the readers... Our readers are in the know. The readers are in, the, in know, the know. And, and they predicted it ahead of time. Um, so, yeah, I am actually really excited for the Jaguar I-Pace. I think... As we've just said about Tesla uh, being, you know, pushing forward, this could be very transformative for Jaguar. Um, but uh, yeah, so we're looking forward to it. 
And uh, Alan, are you looking forward to the I-Pace? Well, I, I think it's going to be a very big car for Jaguar. It's their first uh, attempt at an electric vehicle. Um, and certainly they seem to be putting their entire engineering clout behind it. It's distinctive as well. Um, so assuming there's some solid engineering underneath it, it, it could be a, a very, very good car. Well, ja- Jags, uh, um, you know, have always been, well, not always, but certainly recent, in recent years have been very good to drive. They've been one of the best you know, handling cars in every class that they, they enter. Um, but the powertrains, and particularly the diesels, have been a bit weak and a bit noisy. And I think, you know, by going electric, Jaguar could, could actually solve a lot of its problems. So, uh, yeah, there's plenty to be excited about. Great. What's the car you're looking forward to in 2018, Doug? Uh, well, on, on a, in a similar vein, I think the Model 3. Are we even going to see it in 2018? No, 2019. Oh, well, nothing in 2018 then, no. Um, well, I, I don't know. I think we might be able to wrangle a US model at some maybe. point. Yeah, sure. Yeah. We'll be driving it at some point in 2018, you'd have thought. Yeah. We might not see it We're on not UK sure, roads, but maybe, but yeah. I think, you know, that could be a serious watershed moment for electric cars. I know we've had some kind of... Um, some mainstream electric cars that have come before it where we thought maybe this is it maybe this will be the thing that 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 you know really ramps up the interest in it but i think yeah the model 3 because of the interest around tesla that we've already spoken about if that car can deliver be impressive as it is and be affordable then you know there's every chance it could be a massive watershed moment for electric cars and it could bring autonomous tech down as well to a much more affordable level we still Absolutely. are seeing it on on lots of different cars but at a lower price point well, we're still waiting on it. But anyone else? You, we're all signed up for launches already for uh, I'm going on the, the uh, uh, Up GTI launch. Is that, are you excited about that? You don't, you don't sound so... No, I am. Oh, no, I am. Kind of cheeky little hot hatchback. Yeah, Why would be been, like, and, and let's face it, I had such a good record last year on hot <laughs> hatchbacks. So it's, 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 well, it's got a lot to um, live up to. But yeah, no, cheeky little Volkswagen. I, right. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. Well, if you look at the, you know, hot, the great hardships that were launched last year, like we've already talked about the Type R, the Civic Type R, the Hyundai 30N, um, and we've already seen the, the Civic Type R and the I, I30N last year. But this year, we've actually got even more... Uh, to be excited about. You're driving the Up GTI, you know, very shortly. A couple of a uh, couple of weeks later, I'm driving the new Megane RS and the old Megane RS. I think everyone uh, is one of the best hot hatches ever. And there's another car, isn't there? That, well, there is. Uh, there's a, well, I was just going to say, um, Suzuki Swift Sport is going to be yeah. coming. But what's out. the big one? What's the other big Fiesta, one? Fiesta yeah, Restri. That's the one. The Fiesta Restri. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think and, that's what everyone's. And I think for, why we're it? very excited is this year actually. Um, when we've looked at hot hatches for under nineteen thousand pounds. Um, there's not a whole lot of options this year. Um, the ST's obviously gone off sale. The Suzuki Swift Sport's quite old. Um, so you're left with not a lot of choice if you're a young guy or girl who's wanting to, to buy a hot hatch. And then next year, we've got three coming along at once. So to see which one of those is going to be the best, I think I'm going to put my money on the Suzuki, um, being a Suzuki owner. Uh, I think um, we are objective here at Whatcover. <laughs> but surely I, I the, think that the, could be quite the Fiesta ST is, is the kind of big one, isn't it? Because that... It is. Of this well, year, up, because up, it was an unknown quantity, because, that, you know, I've heard a lot of great things about that car. We've but the thing is, is the ST is the one that's got the history of, you know, the but last ST, some people are quoting it as, you know, again, one up is, is one of the best But it is going to be a triple. I think it is. So. Well, this is and it. And that this is, is it. also going yeah. to be unproven. So. But I think the thought of a, a little three turbocharged three-cylinder and a Fiesta ST, it could be a really characterful little engine and give it a real kind of... I like, I like well. three-cylinder triples. I like them. Yeah, yeah, same here. Same here. But um, you've got to, I mean, it's not just uh, hot hatches that you've got to look at. There's going to be a big 
uh, entry into the premium hatchback sector as well with a brand new Mercedes A-Class as well. And it's a very, very important car because, to be honest, it's not been uh, our favourite premium hatchback to date. But the new one has a fantastic new interior that, that almost looks like it came from a little S-Class, for instance. Um, I mean, what, what do you guys make of the, the new interior? It does. It, it, it showrooms extremely well. Um, Mercedes have done that, you know, for quite a few years now. Um, I just really hope that it, they've solved some of the issues with the uh, with the car um, that the previous model had, you know, particularly from from a ride quality point of view and uh, and engine installations. And if they can do that, there's no reason why you know we couldn't see uh, we couldn't see a newcomer into into that premium uh, sector that would beat the current favorite our current favorite, which is the Audi A3. And the the A3 has been one to beat for for quite some time now, but. Um well, it's it's always nice to see a fresh new face come along and shake things up a bit, isn't it? Is. It's and great because it's exciting for us, isn't it? You know, it's like uh, it's really exciting when something has been in the market for so long, and and but we keep on. You know, it's, it's all it's nice to talk about good cars, but when you sit there year in year out, going, well, you know, A three, A three, A three. You want great. something to come yeah. along and, and be even better because yeah. it gives the the, the, the car buyer, um, you know, even even more choice. Um, we've also, we're talking about Volvo's future, we've also got the new um, the replacement for the V40, mm -hmm. um, which, you know, if, if, if the XC40 is anything to go by, that could, that could be great as well. Mm -hmm. So there's some uncertainty in the industry at the minute, but it looks like the one certainty is that there are plenty of manufacturers making excellent cars, and the What Car Awards show that. So unfortunately, that's all we've got time for, so it's time to say thank you to Will, John, Neil and Alan. And if you've enjoyed listening to this podcast, then please let us know. Get in touch via social media or email whatcareds at haymarket.com. And keep an eye out for future What Car podcasts as well. Thanks for listening.